Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George. That's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today we are finally returning from a month-long hiatus following... Honestly, what has felt like the longest dead period of any offseason ever. But honestly, I'm just incredibly excited to be back on the mic recording with you, Dame. So, man, let us know what you've been up to. How have you been? Man, no, I have been so <laughs> busy over these last couple months, especially like since we last recorded. But just in general, you know, since June, I've been an intern at, K- at uh, Ken's Five uh, for Grade Day Essay. I was, you know, helping write and produce, you know, their sports segments. I even did a couple of news packages myself where I interviewed Zach Collins from the Spurs, which I'm sure we'll get into later and kind of before the show ends, <laughs> just talk this bollocks or whatever. But yeah, it was cool, man. I've been really, really busy working and, you know, TV has been, you know, a dream come true. The staff over there has been fantastic. My internship there ended last Friday. Uh, today, actually, it's September 1st, Thursday, uh, I'll be at KXAN in Austin in their sports department. So that'll be really, really cool as well. So Just a lot of movement from me, man. You know, my final semester started last week as well. So a lot of movement, right? A lot of goals and (laughs) and, and just, you know, places we're trying to hit, you know, things we're trying to accomplish. But definitely glad that I'm here on the pod with you to talk Spurs because there's nobody I'd rather talk Spurs with. So let's get into it, brother. I'm excited. Yo, man, I feel the same way. But I guess before we hop into our topics, as we always do, just want to let our audience know we're recording this podcast on... Well, September 1st, it's about 9.32 a.m. Central Time. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into some more recent offseason signings, maybe what they mean for San Antonio's roster this season. And just as a refresher for fans, you know, I just want to keep everybody in the loop here, you know, give them a reminder of how this works during the offseason. So NBA teams are allowed to carry up to 20 players during the summer, but they have to trim that number down to 15 standard contracts in a pair of two-way contracts before the season begins. So with that in mind, the Spurs re-signed Joe Wieskamp a couple of weeks ago to a two-year $4.35 million deal. They also inked Alizé Johnson, Tommy Cuse, and Jalen Attaway to exhibit 10 contracts, which brings the team above maximum capacity. That's 21 players. So, Dame, what are your first impressions of that Wieskamp deal? And then do you think maybe that any of that exhibit 10 trio has a chance to find a home with San Antonio after you know the training camp ends? I'm going to start with the second question first. As far as the people that, you know, signed to Exhibit 10 deals, I don't think, I, I'm not expecting them to stay on the main roster with San Antonio personally. Uh, not because I don't think they might be great players, but I think San Antonio's had a lot of movement to start the year and start the offseason. It's really hard for me to envision them cutting bait with some of these guys, right? Like, there's even a guy we'll talk about later, which it would make sense to, you know, let go of him and, and you know, kind of be a cut candidate. But I don't. I still think it's it's kind of crazy just to think about, right? So yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think any I don't think any specific uh, player from this Exhibit Ten kind of trio is gonna stick uh, stick with San Antonio long term. As far as Wieskamp though, I love the note you have in our rundown here about how he's kind of showed some promise. Uh, Joe Wieskamp has as a cutter and a movement shooter, and maybe with Doug McDermott kind of help mentoring, and maybe he can kind of turn into like a, a light version of that. That's a really interesting yeah. point, and I actually really like that because. For a guy like Wieskamp, I think that is kind of your ideal role for him, right? Uh, we've mentioned how he's he's a, a what should I say a good 
vertical athlete, but not in the sense of like Alani Walker where he's super explosive. He just doesn't really, he just, he can jump really high and that's just about it as an athlete, right? It's kind of really weird to say he doesn't, you know, he can't really get up in a crowd. Yeah. He's a kind know. of a slow loader. Yeah. He's not like yeah. super functional athleticism, but he is an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but he, not super functional. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think for him, you kind of envision a role similar to like a guy like Doug McDermott, who is excellent as a cutter and excellent as a movement shooter. Um, not only that, too, the money is is next to nothing in NBA terms. I mean, he's it's two years, four point three million. The second year isn't guaranteed. So I think for me, it makes all the sense in the world. And for a team like San Antonio that's going to be evaluating young talent, why not keep him? You know what I mean? So exactly, I think for me, Noah, San Antonio still trending in the right direction as we you know enter year one of the rebuild. And those are just my thoughts, but I would love to hear your thoughts as well. And I cannot wait to talk about some other players. So let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree with you 100% on the Joe Wieskamp stuff. You know, they took him 41st overall. He's a second-round pick. It's not like it's the biggest deal if they didn't keep him. But like you mentioned, just like continuing to evaluate a guy, see what he has. I mean, didn't have the most productive rookie season. I know at times our audience was like, hey, you're being a little bit hard on him. And probably, I mean, it's not like he was a guy who was expected to come in and make an instant impact. He was definitely a project player, a guy who was brought in to space the floor, be a good cutter, you know, provide a release valve for drivers, for ball handlers. So we'll see what he can do in year two. I'm not like super high on him still, but there really is no loss in bringing him back. Like you had nothing to lose, so why not? I think the other things we should hit on before we kind of move into the next topic is just those three guys they brought on uh, Exhibit 10 contracts. It's not like any of them are phenomenal talents who are like can't miss talents. I mean, you know, two of the three are undrafted. One of them was a second rounder from, I think, five years ago, and he hasn't really stuck around. We'll, we'll start with him. So Alizé Johnson, 6'8", 212 pounds. He's a combo forward, five teams in four seasons, 72 career games to his name. Mostly a journeyman. Dame, I mean, we're not going to get too deep into any of these guys because I'm not really sure how important they're going to be in the long run. But do you have any impressions of him? Like, what what are your thoughts of Alizé Johnson? I don't really have too many. I think the interesting thing is, it's like you mentioned, it's it's going to sound disrespectful to use the term journeyman, but that's kind of been what he is at this stage, right? He's been in the NBA since 2018, 2019. He's only played 72 career games. I, I personally would be shocked if he you know, was on the opening day roster personally, you know, doesn't really provide anything that San Antonio specifically needs. Uh, he is a slasher, which is good, but he doesn't shoot the three. Well, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I just, I would be shocked. You know, he's a, he's a 25% three point shooter. And he's a combo forward and the Spurs do need depth at the four, but not with what he provides. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And when I think of Alizé Johnson, I really just think of this like undersized bruiser. I know he's kind of listed as a combo forward. He splits his time between small forward, power forward, but really he's kind of like effectively with his skill set, a small ball center. And, you know, he's a great rebounder. He's got a high motor, but I mean, to be honest, and this is meant as no disrespect, but the numbers sort of speak for themselves. You know, two and a half points per game, three rebounds per game for his career. Now, that's in limited minutes, but he really he lives around the rim. And it's not like he's a Giannis around the rim or a Zion around the rim or even like a Jonas Valanciunas around the rim. Like, he's just a little above average around the rim. And I just don't know that he's going to bring, as you said, anything that the Spurs really need. Now we'll go more in depth on him later when we kind of talk about who are the candidates to get the final cut, but we'll go ahead and move on to Tommy Cuse. Now Dame, be 100% honest with me because I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Do you know who this is or before no you saw him on this, this, did you? Yeah. So no, no. I was in the same boat when the when uh, the signing was announced. I was like, "Who?" So I, I did some research on him. We'll we'll provide a few numbers and then I'll I'll, I'll try to get sort of your uh, first reactions or thoughts on the numbers because we don't we didn't really see a lot of him play, right? He played at St. Mary's, not a school that we typically watch a lot for basketball. I mean, Jock Landale came out of there, yeah. but how much did he play for the Spurs, right? Yeah. So, like, Cuse is a 6'2 point guard, 185 pounds. He was a five-year player at St. Mary's, so he was a super senior last year. All-time record setter for games played there, 149 games played. But in his last season, you know, 12.2 points per game, 3.7 assists per game, 49-45-81 shooting splits. All WCC first team, uh, WCC sixth man of the year. And, like, I watched a little bit of his tape. He's fine. Like, I think that's kind of the theme with a lot of these guys you're going to see on Exhibit 10 contracts is, like, they're they're fine at a lot of things. They're just 
not excellent at anything. So when you hear those numbers, you kind of hear my small review. What are your thoughts on him? Like, is he a guy who even really has a chance to make the roster or he's just another guy who might end up in the G League? Yeah, probably another guy that ends up in the G League. And an interesting thing from my uh, my point of view, kind of, kind of looking at his year-to-year numbers, you mentioned he's a fifth-year senior, or last year he was. Three-point shooting numbers were pretty mediocre up until his final year. You know, he shot 34% from three, 32%, 27 and a half, and then he balloons to 45%. I don't. I, he's probably somewhere in the middle uh, of you know thirty four and what? What would you say? Forty percent? You know, thirty nine percent. He's he's probably not a he's not a great shooter. Obviously, you know, came from a, from from a smaller conference, smaller school. So I get that a hundred percent. But I just don't see it. And and again, with the Spurs being in the position that they're in, right, with so many guards that they've added, you know, this off season, I don't really know where he would fit in. You know, to make the 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 opening day roster. So. I would be shocked, Noah, if we saw if we saw Tommy on uh, on uh, for game one. I definitely would be. I would be very surprised as well. And I think it's important <laughs> context, right? Like, it's not like he was shooting forty five percent from three on like five, six, seven attempts. It no. was three point two attempts per game, which is a little bit above like college average. So it's not like super high volume. Uh, the efficiency was really high, but you go ahead and look through his synergy numbers. Almost 80% of his three-point makes came on catch-and-shoot, spot-up attempts, just like standstill, stationary. It's not like he was a movement shooter or a guy coming off screens or shooting off the dribble. It was, hey, catch-and-shoot. He knocked him down. That's great. I just don't know that he has a ton of versatility. You look at the turnovers per game, 2.1 turnovers to 3.7 assists. It's not like he was turning the ball over a lot, but he wasn't really creating a ton for his teammates either. Congrats to Tommy for getting this opportunity. I hope he makes the most of it, but... I'm not really sold on him. So we'll move on to the last guy, Jalen Attaway. Now, I did know Jalen Attaway, or you know, I don't know him personally, but I watched him a little bit yeah. at St. Bonaventure. Uh, 6'5", 210. I think he's, you could call him like a combo guard, kind of a wing. You know, he played some shooting guard, played some small forward, uh, was a ball handler at times. But he was a standout at St. Bonaventure. He was there for two years after two years with Miami, Ohio. Uh, tremendous athlete, 42-inch vertical, really quick, um, a, a little bit stiff despite being like a, a pretty good athlete, but you look at his numbers, 12.2 points per game, or I'm sorry, 15.3 points per game, 5.9 rebounds per game, 47, 38, 83 shooting splits in his final go-round with the Bonnies while taking home All-Atlantic 10 first-team honors. You know, he's another one of those guys that, like, you know, the numbers are fine. He did play in a smaller conference. It's not like the three-point, you know, volume was was very high. What what are your feelings on him? Are you kind of in the same boat as Tommy Cuse? Yeah, I think kind of in the same boat with uh, with Alizé Johnson, too, at his position, uh, respectively, as well, because Attaway doesn't really provide anything that I think specifically the Spurs would be wowed over or they really, you know, desperately need that kind of isn't already on the roster. I do think the, the shooting, like you mentioned, too, you know, he did, you know, I think it was a bump of 80, you know, three-point attempts from uh, the year prior heading into last year. You know, on 109 three-point attempts, he shot 37% from the field. But the, still, the volume, I, I think in general, these a lot of these guys, they're they're fine players, like you mentioned. And, and according to my favorite saying, uh, a jack-of-all-trades, master of nothing, right? That's kind of what they all are. <laughs> uh, but that's not a bad thing, right? They're good, solid basketball players. But I think for the NBA level, and specifically the Spurs right now, None of them really offer anything that I think San Antonio would be just in love with and be willing to cut bait with other guys that they've clearly invested, you know, more assets and more, you know, time into. Yeah, I think that's the right mindset to have with these guys. And again, it's not that any of them are not good players. Alizé Johnson has legitimate NBA experience. Uh, I, I didn't make the note here, but I do remember I wrote an article about him when he got signed. And one fun fact about him, if you want to have some optimism about Alizé Johnson, is he's one of... 34 players in the last five years with a 20-20 game. So 20 points, 20 rebounds, super high motor. He's going to get after it on the offensive board. He's going to clean the glass. You know, he can he can put stuff back. And on Synergy, he ranks as excellent. He's in the 85th percentile in putbacks since he came into the NBA. But, you know, that that's kind of the only thing I can really speak to him for. Again, like lives near the rim, loves to rebound the ball. Really good finisher around the rim, but doesn't really provide a ton of other skills. So with all of that in mind, I think it's time to kind of start figuring out what this roster looks like. Because as we mentioned, it's 21 players. So technically the Spurs can only have 20. They haven't made the Attaway signing official, so they're going to have to cut someone before that becomes official. But we're going to go ahead and treat this like they can have 21 players, and then we'll look at the roster. So as we mentioned, 21 players 
They're going to have to make some cuts before the season begins. So I'll go ahead and list out the roster to you from youngest to oldest. So we got Dominic Barlow, Jeremy Sohan, Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley, Josh Primo, Jordan Hall, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Romeo Langford, Keldon Johnson, Joe Wieskamp, Jalen Attaway, Isaiah Roby, Tommy Cuse, Zach Collins, Alizé Johnson, Keita Bates-Diop, Jakob Pertl, Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott, and finally Gorgie Jing, who comes in at 33 years old. So given that information, who are your four candidates to get the boot from Pop in the front office before the season starts? And, and I listed some guys in the notes, but you know you can go with whoever you want. So we're going to go with the first the first three for sure that we mentioned earlier in Alizé Johnson, Tommy Cuse, and Jalen Attaway, right? We're going to go with them. We're going to kind of get them out of the way. There's one guy on the on your rundown that I actually think will get cut, and that's Romeo Langford. But I wanted to bring him up because, <clears throat> for me personally, man, Romeo Langford coming out was a guy that I really liked. I wasn't as in depth with the basketball stuff around that time because I believe he came out in what 2018, I believe. I believe so, so. That was that was just when I started writing about basketball. So I wasn't too kind of in depth with kind of you know his career up to that point. But I remember at Indiana, I was like. Man, this kid, uh, you know he's you know we're the same age, but I'm like this kid. If 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 he can if he can mature and blossom into you know kind of the tools that he has, man, as a scorer, I, as a defender, I think you know he can be a really solid two way. And it just hasn't been there. And for me, I think whenever San Antonio originally made the move and traded Derek White and they got Josh Richardson and Romeo back, I thought maybe you know we can see something from this guy that you know in pop system maybe in a smaller role in a lesser role he can kind of carve out something for himself. But considering where the roster's at, Noah, I just don't know where he fits in. When you look at what San Antonio has done this offseason, right? Malachi Brandon, Blake Wesley, two guards, right? Jordan Hall, which is, you can say he's a tweener guard forward. I li- that's a guy that I'm really high on personally. You can, you know, mention other, other guys as well that they have already on the roster, uh, whether it's a Trey Jones. Uh, Devin Vassell's a wing, you know, plays kind of the two the three. But really, you know, Josh Richardson as well. Really, it's kind of hard to see where he fits in, right? So... I think just for that simple fact, I don't I don't think he'll be on the roster. And then the last one I agree as well that's on the rundown is Kade Bates Dia. Um he's another guy that I just don't really see how he has a role, right? Where's where is he going to find minute like and and why would he have a spot over other guys like I mentioned? Like personally, I'm a big Jordan Hall guy. I know you, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember heading into the draft, Dominic Barlow was a guy that you mentioned a couple of times. Shout out to Rafael Barlow. Every time I hear that name, I still, he's the first guy I think of. But, you know, as well, and then you have Zach Collins coming back, who's, you know, I've talked to myself personally, and he is very, very excited for this season. You know, you have other guys like Doug McDermott, you know, um, uh, Yaka Pirtle, Isaiah Roby, right? Uh, Joe Wieskamp, who they just brought, you know, re-signed again. So Jeremy Sohan, look, I'm just naming names, right? There's so many guys that, you know, play that kind of that front court position that you're going to need that I don't know how he carves out a role. And, you know, the kind of the big deal earlier in our previous segment, he doesn't really offer anything that San Antonio really, like, needs. You know what I mean? He, there's yep. nothing special, and no disrespect intended, but there's nothing special about his skill set. So why keep a guy like that when you can, you know, rather put that time and effort into guys that could potentially give you more at a later date, considering you're a rebuilding team? That's just my point of view. No, I, I think I'm right there with you. And, I, and when I look at Keita Bates Diop, for me, the writing was on the wall when they claimed Isaiah Roby off waivers this summer, because it just feels like he's an upgrade over KBD in like pretty much every way a little bit more positional versatility on offense. He can play small ball center. He can play power forward. He can play a little bit of small forward. He can run the pick and roll both as the screener and the ball handler at times. 42% three-point shooter on a higher volume of three-point attempts. He's a guy who can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He's a guy who's, uh, I think, a little bit more of a fluid athlete. Now, he's not a better athlete in terms of his ability to get off the floor. Like He's mostly a below-the-rim athlete, but he is a guy who is more fluid, and I think he gets off the floor a little bit quicker than Keita Bates-Diop. So to me, you bring in a guy like that who's not only, I think, an improvement but younger, and it just like it doesn't make sense to keep Keita Bates-Diop. And it's not that, again, he's not a bad player, but he's one of two guys on an unguaranteed contract or non-guaranteed contract. And Dame, the other guy is Trey Jones. They need someone to run the show. They need a point guard. They basically have no point guard but Trey Jones. They're not letting go of Trey Jones. So if you only have two guys who are on non-guaranteed contracts, and you're going to keep one of them, it's going to be Trey Jones. And the last thing I can say about KBD, 
He's going to be 27 years old in the next couple of months. He'll be the fifth oldest player on this roster. And honestly, again, no disrespect, but without a lot of upside to tap into, you know, does San Antonio invest minutes into a role player? Like, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. And so for me, I think they'll probably let him go. He'll probably latch on with the team. I think he's good enough to be a rotational player, into the bench player. But for San Antonio and all these players who you mentioned, you named a ton of them, there just really isn't a lot of room for KBD. So I think that's my first guy. And we'll move on to the other guys real quick, because I know you mentioned, I think it's the other guys that exhibit 10 guys. I mean, Alizé Johnson, same boat as KBD, 27 years old. You know, you've got Keldon, Sohan, McDermott, Richardson, Wieskamp, Roby. Like, where does he earn minutes? You know, excellent rebounder, great cutter, high motor, but undersized tweener. Makes ex- I just think it makes sense for really, and I'll, I'll lump all the Exhibit 10 guys in, into the same boat here. The number one thing with Exhibit 10 contracts is you can convert them into two ways. Well, you know, they already have Dominic Barlow and Jordan Hall on two ways, so that's not going to happen. They're not going to convert any of these guys into two ways. You can only have two two ways. So the other thing it provides you if you waive them before the training camp ends is you have their G League rights. And I'm looking at every single one of these guys. To me, they're all useful G League players. Like if Malachi Branham or Blake Wesley or even Josh Primo spend time in the G League, these are good role players to have around youngsters to help them develop in Austin. So for me, I think that's the number one reason that all of these guys are kind of lumped together. I mean, Alizé Johnson, 27 years old. Tommy Cusey is going to be 25 years old. Attaway, he just turned 24 years old. So they're going to be older. I mean, like these are older rookies and an experienced guy who probably doesn't belong inside of an NBA rotation. So those are my four guys. Now, I do think it's interesting with Romeo Langford. I love him. I really love Romeo Langford. You know, I have league pass, so I watched quite a bit of Boston Celtics basketball before the trade happened. I was, like, not really that excited for Josh Richardson. I thought he was a little disappointing with the Celtics, but I was hyped for Romeo Langford. I mean, you look at what he was able to do. He didn't really earn minutes with Brad Stevens. He never really, like, figured things out with that Celtics team. But with Ime Udoka, he had broken into the rotation as this really gritty defender. And you look at his lifetime defensive field goal percentage— 37.7% defensive field goal percentage lifetime since he entered the NBA defending 438 shots as the primary defender. Dame, that number is just a hair under what Draymond Green, Robert Williams III, and Matisse Teibel posted this season. All of them were all defense. Now, I'm not saying, you know, he's going to be a perennial all defense guy, but a lot of positional versatility. He's added weight. He moves really well. Um, He's got a lot of functional strength. He's a smart defender. He's got long arms. He's able to come up with deflection, steals, blocks. Like He just feels like a guy who needs an opportunity. But as we mentioned, I mean, the Spurs crowded backcourt. I mean, even if you want to list him as a wing, they're still kind of crowded there. Where does he earn minutes? So I could see them waving him. But just in my personal bias, I would love to see him stay with San Antonio and maybe get a fair shake. But I think you're right. He may end up being the guy if it's not KBD. Who knows? Because KBD did play a lot last season. You know, Pop may like him. So it may be Robio Langford kind of like the odd man out, which would make me sad, but I definitely understand it. I mean, dude, he he played four games. He didn't play more than 16 minutes in any of those games. It doesn't seem like Pop was that keen on getting him involved. Yeah, and piggybacking off both your points on Romeo and KBD, I think the the thing that they both have going for them is they do fit the Spurs mold, I feel personally, especially a guy like Romeo Langford, uh, especially on the defensive end of the floor, effort, you know, I think I think he really does fit what Pop would like, but I think the the overall theme of this of this portion of the show is we've mentioned where is he going to find these minutes, right? Like where are they coming from? And I think San Antonio has much more assets and time invested in other guys, or they want to do that in other guys. I think, Noah, a quick question for you. Do you think the writing on the wall for him would have been when the San Antonio Spurs drafted, you know, two guards in the draft? Do you think that was kind of the beginning of the end for him? Do you think, kind of looking back at that, maybe that was already an early sign that he probably wasn't going to have a home here? Yeah, I think initially I was like, yeah, that's the writing on the wall for Lonnie. Lonnie's gone. And, of course, we saw him sign with the Lakers, but... It's easy to forget because he didn't play a lot, but like Romeo Langford is sort of like a guard forward, like a wing for all intents and purposes. And like if you're drafting two more guards, you know, where does he find minutes? And like even if Malachi Branham 
and Blake Wesley both spend time or even a lot of time with the Austin Spurs, which I'm not really sure they will, but if they do, you know, he still has to fight off Josh Primo, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Keldon Johnson, Joe Wieskamp, uh, Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott for minutes. I mean, I, I like him, but with those guys already having been here longer and them having like a proven track record that Pop wants to play them, where, like, how does Romeo Langford prove that, like, I deserve minutes? Because the Spurs didn't draft him, right? Like, he's a lottery pick, but they didn't draft him. Most of the names that we just talked about or that we mentioned, they were either A, drafted pretty high by the Spurs, like in the lottery, or they've already received a lot of like minutes as developmental projects, or two, the Spurs spent money on them in the offseason as a free agent. So like, why would Romeo Langford get any minutes over them? So th- that's kind of my feeling. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I'm the same way with you, man. And I I think if you're done, I can we can talk about some other news that we haven't hit on. It's been so long since we recorded a pod, and it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny because this already happened, and like we've already processed it and digested it, and it's like in the back of our heads. But you know, the Spurs they had some other significant news emerge over the last month. So we're gonna start with the bad and end with the good. So legendary shooting okay. <laughs> guru and longtime assistant Chip England departed the organization for a new gig with the Oklahoma City Thunder after 17 seasons on the sideline with Greg Popovich. Ooh. 17 years, no. <laughs> Se- like when, uh, just imagine this: when you were 17 years old, like imagine that. You know what I mean? You're a 17 year old kid. When I was 17, I was a junior in high school. I swore I was the coolest kid ever. I'm looking back. I'm like, God, I was so lame. <laughs> but that's such a long time, right? So what does that mean for the Spurs now that they're losing the guy that everyone, even when they drafted Sohan, you were like, it's all good. They got Chip England. <laughs> that was the secret weapon. Now that they're losing that, Noah, what does that mean for the Spurs, man? I got to know. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so many ways you can look at it. But I think first and foremost, he has this proven track record of player development. And there's a reason he was one of the highest paid assistant coaches in the league for Probably the last decade. So for me, losing him to what kind of sounded like they didn't really want to meet his salary demands, like he wanted a pay raise or he at least wanted to be in the same ballpark where he was. They just decided, no, I I think we can let him go. Like, we're not going to pay you that much is at least what it sounded like to me from the Woj article that was written. To me, that decision, given all the teenagers and early 20 somethings that need help with their shots, like Trey Jones uh, Blake Wesley, Jeremy Sohan, even Josh Primo, Joe Wieskamp. Like, to me, that's a little bit of a poor decision. But, you know, there are other ways to look at it. But, you know, I, I want to know what you think about it because maybe you don't see it the same way I do. No, I definitely see it that way. <laughs> because, so here's the thing. Everyone has talked about the Spurs developmental team, you know, whether that's in Austin, whether that's with their coaching staff, whatever the case may be. And we can go down the list of all the guys the Spurs have had, you know, on their staff at one point, right? It's it's amazing at all levels, right? I just think losing a guy like Chip England with such a proven track record. I mean, the stuff he's done for guys like even a DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson. Yep. Um, I, dude, people forget Keldon Johnson, I mean, really truthfully, when you talk about someone that was really struggling with this shot and everyone thought, you know, hey, at the NBA, we don't know how that's going to project what's going to happen. Man, he just hit the ground running after shooting 33% on, you know, under three attempts uh, in 2020, his second year. He shoots, what is he shooting? Almost 40% on, on over five attempts a game. Like, that is that is insane improvement in just a short period of time. So I think keeping a guy like Chip England with a proven track record, that's really important for the development of your young guys, especially as you're rebuilding. Because that's where the Spurs are going to be at. They're going to be, you know, high draft picks. They're going to be drafting really young players, and they're going to be develop, uh, developing all of these guys over the next, you know, four, five, six years. You would think you would want to keep everyone that's already proven themselves and continues to prove themselves, right? The Patriots didn't fire Bill Belichick, right? <laughs> you, you don't, you don't get yeah. rid of, of of greatness. And not to say, you know, Chip England is Bill Belichick, but if he ain't Bill Belichick, he's damn sure Josh McDaniels. He sees someone in that tier. You know, he's yeah, he's right there. Absolutely. He's just as important. So um, I think I think it was a really shocking move, and I feel from a personnel standpoint, a developmental standpoint, I hope this doesn't really bite them because they're going to need all of whomever the shooting coach is going to be. They're going to need all of his his brains and then some. Absolutely, and and like even some of the names we didn't mention, but like he worked with Tony Parker, he worked with George Hill, he worked with one of the most famous cases of going from a shot that was like pretty shaky to 
like a 40% three-point shooter, could knock down shots off the dribble, turn around. Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I know we don't like Kawhi Leonard, or a lot of fans don't like Kawhi Leonard, but, I mean, his track record, I mean, we keep using that word, but really, I mean, it's like undeniable. You can't deny what this man has done with the San Antonio Spurs. So it did feel like a poor decision. In that same breath, though, you know, how many players can one man work with at once? And, like, for all his greatness, and he is, I think, you know, unquestionably, probably the greatest shooting coach of our lifetime. There are definitely some players who just, whether it's biomechanically or mentally, they never really have the aptitude to develop a reliable jumper. And, you know, I think we can kind of see it as a cop-out at times that, oh, well, you know, Jeremy Sohan can't shoot. Oh, we'll just, just send him to Chip England. Because there are players who just, like, never develop jumpers with San Antonio. I mean, like Kyle Anderson. He didn't learn how to shoot the basketball, and he really is not a great shooter now, but he didn't really learn how to shoot the basketball reliably until he left the Spurs. Dewan Blair never learned how to shoot the basketball. It's not like Timmy was dropping threes left and right, right? I mean, Tiago Splitter wasn't shooting threes. You had guys who came into the organization who were already great shooters, like Roger Mason Jr. and Gary Neal. Like, he he's not the guy who made every single shooter, and he didn't turn non-shooters into shooters sometimes. So I think... It's important to remember that like there are guys who have a certain foundation, and, and if they have that foundation, then he can help them. But he doesn't necessarily make every non-shooter into a shooter, and I think that's important because we won't get too deep into it, but like you look at Jeremy Sohan, we've, we're not going to like bash on him too much because I think he's a phenomenal prospect. I'm super excited for him. I think he's going to be great as a defender, you know, a, a, a rotational player, a guy who can be that connective tissue as a passer. But like... The, the indicators for him as a shooter are not good. Really poor touch on floaters, below 50 or 56% from the free throw line, below 28% from three. Like, the, the indicators are not good with him, and the shot, like, mechanically does not look great. So, like, would he have turned him into this, like, 40% three-point shooter? Probably not, but, like, I do agree with you that, like, it is a big loss, but at the same time, like, you know, he can't fix everyone. You know, you, you there, there are shots that are just broken enough that you're not going to fix everyone, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And that's the thing, too, is uh, we know, like, we mentioned the track record, and it definitely speaks for itself. But at the same time, too, it was a kind of a cop-out for us. I even mentioned it earlier. It was like, that was a secret weapon, right? Literally, anytime the Spurs <laughs> drafted or picked picked up anybody, it was like, oh, you can't shoot? Oh, don't worry about it. They got Chip England. No, they'll, <laughs> they'll figure it out. But... No, and I and I think it's it's really interesting because you know great organizations typically, you know they they kind of set the standard and you know people pick and choose from all of those. I mean, and it's a, it's across all sports, right? The, in football, yeah. they do it from Andy Reid's staff. Uh, in in the NBA, they do it from the Spurs staff, right? From guys like you know <laughs> Ime Doka, Monty Williams, Becky Hammond, Will Hardy, James Borrego, Monty Williams, right? The, the the list can go on and on. Quinn Snyder, you know Sam Presti. It, it's the the list is insane, but I will say this. Great organizations are able to bounce back like the Spurs have done and proven they can do, even when they lose these these you know exceptional you know coaches that are really valuable. They still bounce back and figure something out. So with that said, even though I don't believe you know losing Chip, even though I believe actually that Chip England losing him is a big deal, it's not the end of the world. Especially when you talk about a team like the Spurs, an organization like the Spurs, that you can complain all you want about the direction they're in. They've won a lot over the last, you know, 20, 25 years. They've bounced back and they've made the most out of everything. They have perennially made chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. And so I think they deserve <laughs> at least some, just some patience here, fellas, ladies and gents. That's just my point of view. And I think whatever happens, whomever it is that, that that's going to be next in line as a shooting coach, I think they'll have the work cut out for them. But I think San Antonio will also make the right decision. I think they've earned that confidence from us. I agree, and every organization has to go through a rebuild. You look at every great dynasty, you know, the Bulls dynasty, did they continue it after Michael? No. After Michael Jordan retired, they had to rebuild. Uh, when Derrick Rose was done, they had to rebuild, right? Like, you're not going to be great forever. Every team goes through the same process, and I know it's not fun. You know, rebuilding can be frustrating. It's a frustrating time for sure, but it's also a time to be really hopeful. So like when I, when I, when I look through the history of the NBA, you know, we mentioned it, the Bulls, the Lakers had to rebuild, the Celtics have had to rebuild, the Sixers, one of the greatest organizations in NBA history, an original organization, they've had to rebuild several times. So the Spurs are not in, you know, exclusive company where they were elite for so long and now they're not very good. But as you mentioned, I mean, 
we, we can mention a few more names. Mike Budenholzer, Chad Forcier, Joe Prunty, Jacques Vaughn, Earl Watson, Landry Fields, Quinn Snyder, Taylor Jenkins. Like, they've lost people from the Spurs organization, from the Austin Spurs organization, and they've continued to replace people. They've continued to churn out developmental success stories. I think they will be fine. You know, I think they're going to be okay. So I trust the Spurs. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, like losing Chip England doesn't matter. I mean, when you lose arguably the best shooting coach of, of the last couple of decades, yeah, you're, you're going to take a hit to your developmental system. But I trust that they'll figure it out. You know, it's not going to be the end of the world, but, you know, it, it is a hit. So it'll be interesting to see kind of who steps up in that role. And I also think it'll be interesting to see, like, do they keep Doug McDermott around a little bit longer to kind of teach Devin Vassell, uh, Joe Wieskamp, the, the tricks of the trade? You know, that'll be interesting to track. But, you know, I think we should move on to a more positive note, right? We've spent a lot of yeah, time kind yeah. of talking about something <laughs> that's maybe not the most fun. But Manu Ginobili, one of the greatest Spurs of all time, undeniable. We know him. We love him. Argentinian legend. He's going to be enshrined in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in I think a little over a week, I believe it's going to be on September 10th. So, Dame, we'll we'll hit a couple of questions, but my first one for you is, what's your favorite Manu moment? I have mine, and I'll talk about mine later. But what what's your favorite Manu moment? It can be on the court, it can be off the court, it can be a series, it can be a game, whatever it is. I want to know what it is. Yeah. So for me, uh, it's not a specific moment, but it's a in its entire game. It's an entire game. So. Back in 2005, when the Spurs beat the Pistons in Game Seven, I remember that game like it was like it was yesterday. I remember <laughs> how great Manu Ginobili was in that game, and looking at the numbers, you know, he was eight of 13 from the floor, you know, two of two from three, 23 points, uh, four assists, five rebounds. I-, I remember that game like like literally the back of my hand, and that moment for me is significant because I remember like I didn't I didn't like my mom doesn't know anything like about sports; she knows nothing, but. <laughs> she that was like that's like the only time I think ever in my life she's watched like a sporting event with me like from start to finish, so that's that's literally the first thought that went into my head that like I didn't I didn't look at this because I saw that you know you you were gonna ask what's uh the best <laughs> moment and so that was literally just off the cuff and that's something that I literally think about like probably once every couple months, so for me it's definitely Manu's game seven man and I think the second one though because I got to give you another one. Uh, it's definitely the dunk on Chris Bosh at age 100 yes. when he's when he's an old man <laughs> and just and just you know we just saw we saw Kamaru Usman get left stiff a couple of weeks ago. Chris Bosh was left just as starched. I mean that was <laughs> legendary. But those are my two. Those are my two. And and I'm personally no. Before I kick it to you, I'm I'm pretty biased when it comes to Manu. I feel because I think he is one of the most underrated, underappreciated players of all time. I think he's he's always disrespected. I think the social media era is what really messed it up. I sound like a boomer when I say that, but really, truthfully, <laughs> because people, the, I don't know if you remember this, the narrative surrounding Manu for years was, hey, if he was on another team, he'd be a super mega star, all-star, perennial all-star. Well, now it's like people forget that. Like, that's not the case. When, truth be told, if Manu was in this era, Manu's probably a better player He's than cooking. he was in the... Yeah. He's cooking. Oh, no. I mean, especially with how offensive-driven... I mean, I mean, with the stuff he was doing in 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 the in the really rough era of the, those two thousands basketball, like the the this, the 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 pace, the spacing was different, right? But now in this pace and space era of hoops, where Manu can really get busy, really get active with all of that root, like man, no, I, I think you would have seen a, a completely different player, man. I don't know. I'm not going to compare him to you know some of the greats of our of this current generation, but I will say, no, I, I think he'd he'd be an easy twenty twenty seven and six kind of guy, easy. Uh, I'm I'm really high on him, and congratulations to him. I I, just, I can't say enough good things. <laughs> yeah, talk your talk, man. I, I yeah. really agree with you there because it's easy to forget that, like, as you mentioned, people will be like, oh, well, he was on the bench for, oh, he only won six man of the year once, like 13 points per game. Who cares about two-time All-Star? That's it. Like, But it's easy to forget that, one, he, like, intentionally took the role off the bench. He let other guys shine. He was willing to be a cog in the machine rather than the the engine that drives it, right? And I think if he was given that opportunity to be the engine that drives an offense, I'm not saying he's James Harden or anything like that, although I think he's a more impactful player than James Harden. Not necessarily a greater player all time, but more impactful than he was on winning. I think that you would see similar numbers, like you mentioned. Like, he's he's going out there... 25 points, 24 points, you know, five rebounds, six, seven assists. Like he's a guy who I could see being a, a real star 
in today's league. And I think he could have been a star in his era as well, like a real superstar if he was given that opportunity. But because he was so selfless, he wanted to be a part of something greater. He wanted to build a dynasty. He wanted to be a team player. He sacrificed and, you know, the Spurs benefited. They got four championships while he was here. So, you know, I, I love Manu and I'll kick it to my favorite moment. Uh, I think for me, I was about... I think I was 10, almost 10, 9 or 10 at the time. And for me, every year, Dame, I was obsessed with the All-Star game. I was like, oh, I got to go on NBA.com. You know, you would go in, you could vote once a day. I'd go in, I'd vote Manu, Tony, you know, Timmy, Bruce Bowen, Robert Oyer, Michael Finley. I'd be in there every single day. I'd get my one vote a day. Sometimes I'd get on my mom's work computer and I'd be like, I'm also going to vote here. Every vote counts. And so I was like, yo, Manu's good. Like this is, and 2005 was really like, his breakout year. He was coming off of that 2004 Athens uh, a gold medal where he proved that the U.S. team was like not invincible, right? Like he knocked them out. Like it wasn't the greatest U.S. team ever, but he had knocked them out. So for me, I was like, yo, this guy's a star. Like I, I feel it. Like I can see it. He started the season off a couple 20 pieces here and there, but it was the game. It was a few weeks before the All-Star break in 2005. They're playing the Phoenix Suns. And this is in the middle of their like real rivalry with the Suns, right? He comes out, drops 48 points, five rebounds, six assists, and an overtime win against the Suns. And I was like, oh my God, this is his coming out party. This is this is that dude. This is that dude. Like he's going to be an all-star this year. He outshined Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Steve Nash, Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, and Joe Johnson all on the same court. And I was like, this is that guy. He's that guy. And so for me, I think I'll never forget that because that was really the moment that I was like, Oh yeah, he's not just a guy who occasionally give you 20, you know, he's going to average like 8 or 9 points off the bench. This is a guy who's like a star. This is a real star and he ended up being an all-star that season for the first time in his career. So, for me that'll always really stick with me cuz I used to stay up, you know, for every single game. I wanted to catch every game and that was the game that really stuck with me. But I love your moment too because I think that's really like more important in like the the history of the Spurs organization, but I for me this is the game that always just sticks out to me when I think of Manu yeah I think for me too speaking back on that uh specifically the 2004 gold medal uh I'm not here to like you know weigh you know rings and accomplishments uh <laughs> but I will say you know I'm I, I say that because I'm gonna say this uh that gold medal holds a lot of weight in the world of basketball for those that know hoops personally and I'm not saying all the X's and O's I'm just saying in general if you're someone that says I know basketball you have to respect that 2004 gold medal because that holds weight, Noah. That honestly holds more weight than some NBA championships, from my perspective, if we're keeping it a stack. I mean, that that is an accomplishment, a feat in itself that I don't know, Noah, if maybe Luka Doncic can maybe do that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who's, I don't know who, with that level of talent on Team USA versus that Argentinian team, I don't know who's going to be the guy that, that could replicate something like that. But, oh my goodness, man. I, I think Manu Ginobili... Is is a guy that for me, he he's just he's just special. I mean, and watching him play, people say you know before his time, before his time for many players. I think he's a guy that transcends any era, and he could be before his time in any era because he was that special, that transcendent. And for me as well, lastly, before I can just go on and on because I just love his style of play. Everyone knows my favorite style of play. No, is is you know pound the ball out of the pavement, <laughs> you know put the orange thing in the orange thing, uh, all the flash, all the sizzle. There's a difference in steaks in, throughout life, right? You can go to Texas Roadhouse and get a steak, or you can go to a, a Japanese place and go get the <laughs> A5 joint Wagyu, right? Manu Ginobili, no matter what the situation was, he was A5 Wagyu, whatever, no matter what role, what age, doesn't matter what you required, where he was at in life, he gave you the most, and he embodied what the city of San Antonio was. So I am excited to watch that that uh, that whole awesome introduction. I'm excited to watch everything and celebrate what was a fantastic player and gave you know, you and I have many memories throughout our life. I am very grateful, and I hope to one day interview him because he's an interesting person as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and talking about, you know, uh, being enshrined, Tim Duncan is, and I thought this was actually a little bit surprising, but he's going to be his presenter at his enshrinement ceremony. So, like, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's not like the biggest. This is sort of like the fluffiest we'll get in terms of our content, but, like, it does it strike you as odd that that's the guy who's introducing introducing him and like what do you expect him to say because he's a quiet guy like what is gonna happen up there? I think that you're, what you're gonna see is a very emotional side that 
we only like very few people understand. And what I mean by that is this. So I'm, I'm an emotional person personally, right? Uh, not like emotional in the sense of like, oh, I cry a lot, but I'm very open and just direct with my feelings and I have no problem letting you know what it is and what it isn't. I think Tim is probably the same way, but you just don't see it because he's very introverted, right? So I think that's what we're going to see, man. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a side of him that we haven't seen. I think we might see a couple of tears, man, to be honest. That's what I think we're going to see. And I'm really excited. I'm, I'm here for it, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely here for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see it too because I remember at Manu's jersey retirement with the Spurs, that ceremony that they did at the AT&T Center, when Tim got up, I was like, oh yeah, he's only going to probably say like a couple of words, but he told like quite a few stories and he really went on and on about Manu, really like lauded over him and was glowing when he was talking about him. So I like, I kind of expect something along those lines and I'm just excited to see, you know, Manu get his props because I know for years on social media, you've seen people be like, oh yeah, he's not a Hall of Famer or oh, he's not this or, but I think it's easy to forget. You know, it's not the NBA Hall of Fame. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. And, and on that note, you know, where does he rank in your mind all time basketball history, not NBA history, basketball history among shooting guards? Because I think there's a real argument that could be made that he's top 10. But, you know, hey, I, I want your opinion. I don't want to get like too crazy, but I want to I want to know where you stand there. Yeah, that's a tough one. So I don't have obviously we don't have the list in front of us. But he's definitely in that range of like top 10 to maybe just outside of it. And I think some people, I think the whole holding him again, holding the NBA stuff against him or whatever, uh, it just doesn't make sense. It just, it just comes off like a novice take. Like, you know what I mean? Like across all sports, like not every, not every great athlete, great player has every possible accomplishment. My favorite athlete of all time, Conor McGregor, never defended the titles once. He's the double champ. You know what it is when you see him. Manu Ginobili, gold medal, multiple champion. Arguably could have been the finals MVP in 07 or in 2005. Absolutely. I mean, call a spade a spade, right? So, I mean, when you when you know, man, and you watch, that, that, that means nothing. But um, for me, Noah, back to the topic, I think top 10, if not just right outside, but one one heck of a player and someone that, I know in the city of San Antonio will be an icon forever. They're gonna I, if they haven't already, they're gonna be naming food plates after him. They're gonna be naming all <laughs> kinds of stuff after Manu, and rightfully so. Yeah, he he feels like one of those guys that you know San Antonio doesn't really like have statues outside the AT and T Center or anything like that. But it feels like if there was ever a statue to be made, it's got to be the big three. You know, Manu, Tony, Timmy. I mean, that's iconic. I know that sometimes they kind of get like discounted and and sort of forgotten when we talk about like big threes, but you know, winning, winning his big three in the playoffs, winning his big three in the regular season. And like Manu was an instrumental part of that. And, and so when I look at his career, I think, you know, top 10, is he better than Michael Jordan? No, no, no one was probably better than Michael Jordan. Is he better than Kobe? No. But when you start going down the list, like, you know, Dwayne Wade, Allen Iverson, James Harden, Clyde Drexler, George Gervin, if you want to call him a shooting guard, Reggie Miller, like Ray Allen, once you start moving into that territory, like the Vince Carters, he absolutely belongs there. He absolutely does. I mean, he was not only a guy who was, as we mentioned, willing to just put his own ego aside, put his career aside and just say, hey, like, you know, I want to be in San Antonio. I want to win championships. I want to do this the right way. But he's also a guy who players in this era, they know who he is because not just the flashiness, but the creativeness, right? Like, the creativity as a passer, the creativity as a ball handler. He was hitting the sham god. He was going behind the back. You know, he had the Euro step that everyone now has in their bag. Like when he was in the NBA, only a couple of players had that in their bag. Now everyone does pretty much. That's him. That's on him. James Harden has talked about like, yeah, like he's one of the greatest lefties of all time. I wanted that bag. I wanted that move because of him. Like you think about other things that he's able to do too, like on the defensive end, he was an incredible defender something that often gets overlooked when we talk about Manu. He came up with a ton of steals, a ton of deflections, really good with ball pressure, really good in pick-and-roll defense, You know, fought over screens, gave 110% high motor. Like When you think of a winning player, it's Manu Ginobili. Like, I, I, there really isn't anything else you can say about him that isn't good. I mean, from on the court to off the court, he's like the total package. Like He's, he's a great dude, a great player, so... Really excited for him to get enshrined. I'm, I'm hoping to watch that ceremony and enjoy that. And he's just going to get his dues, and he's he's absolutely deserves it. You know, first ballot Hall of Famer. He headlines this class, and just really proud of 
of, of what he's been able to do representing San Antonio, which is a city that obviously means a lot to you and me and obviously every Spurs fan. Yeah, I think I think closing it on from for me, I think from now on, man, I mean, it's just really simple. Like anytime someone asks, like, who's the greatest six man ever? Like once once I hear like the word like it's probably it's probably maybe I'm like, I just stop listening because like and it's not even from a bias perspective. Like if someone asked me right now, who's the best quarterback in the NFL? I'd be like, oh, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. Right. Like no questions. There is no debate or question on who the greatest six man is. Like, you're just only saying that to be different. Like, call a spade a spade, right? Like, if you watched him, you can't sit here and tell me, like, with a straight face, in his role, there's been someone better than him. I, I just, I can't see it. He did it on both ends. He did everything. I don't get it clutch. No matter what. I don't know. I don't know, Noah. It's just, it's, it's, it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. People just forget, man. I guess people just forget, Noah. It's, it is crazy, but... Monte Ginobili, absolute legend. Congratulations, brother. <laughs> Hopefully you can come on the pod one day. <laughs> that, but would yeah, be, man. that would be hey, something. <laughs> hey, but this was, this was fun, man. We definitely got to come back and, and do this. Definitely we'll do it much more consistently as well, for sure. Absolutely, and that's kind of all we have for this week. We have taken quite a long hiatus, but as you know, Dame and I, we're not trying to force any content. You know, We're not going to give you a podcast about nothing. We want to have some real content to provide you some real substance. So hopefully y'all enjoyed this. And again, thank you, Dame, for hopping on the mic and just kind of shaking off the rust with me for another pod. So go ahead and just plug anything you want. Let Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media, where they can find all of your fantastic content, really through any medium of media. So go ahead and it's your time to shine. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, bro. It's always always fun to chat it up, man, chop it up about the Spurs Especially with you, bro. You're you're my you're my guy. So, y'all can go ahead and follow me on Twitter at d a bartonic. That's at d a b a r t o n e k. Just look at my pin tweet. Uh, I interviewed Zach Collins about three weeks ago. Talked to him a little bit about the season. Really, really short, just like a four minute video. But yeah, just continue to do that. Show me some more love. I've show, been showing love back, and I just really appreciate all of you. So, thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you SB Nation, Pounding the Rock for the platform. You know it's all love. And yeah, Noah. Thanks again, brother. Of course, and honestly, like if you if you have not checked out Dame's stuff that he did while he was interning at uh, Great Day SA, like do it right now. I mean, he puts together some really great packages. You could see like it started off the baseline was already good when he began, but by the time he reached that Zach Collins package, I mean that was the cream of the crop stuff. So really check that stuff out. It's really good. Uh, hopefully, we'll both get back to writing more consistently, doing the podcast thing more consistently. You can find me at n underscore magaro. M-A-G-A-R-O on Twitter. You can uh, you know, find my, my stuff on YouTube by my name as well. You'll find me on this podcast whenever Dame and I hop on the mic. But really, thanks again for joining us, and thanks again to everybody who tuned into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a phenomenal staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a stellar job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So go ahead and check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.